I'm GJ, and these are a few things that I want to say. First of all, those three Port Adelaide supporters who bailed up Alistair Clarkson and got pushed and, of course, had it all filmed. If you're expecting my sympathy, you're deluded. You really are. You're lucky, actually, to be honest. You're lucky that you didn't get belted. You probably deserve to get belted. I'm actually surprised at Alastair Clarkson's response. I would have, under the circumstances, expected him to be a little bit more aggressive. So I'm actually going to give him some props for handling it the way he did. Some people just don't know when they cross the line, and it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. He shouldn't have had to have apologised for that. And the fact that these three idiots decided to try and get him charged, I mean, what's wrong with these guys? They're actually lucky that they weren't arrested themselves. But let me, I guess, go one step further. I hope that whoever employs these morons pulled them into their office on Monday morning and said, that's never going to happen again. And if it does happen again, you're not going to have a job. Because that behaviour is just out and out disgraceful. Using the excuses that you're drunk and you're out of all these things, look, that doesn't cut it with me. You make the decision to drink. You wear the, the implications of your actions as a consequence of doing such stupid things. I'm sorry, but... You don't get my respect doing things like that. I'm, yeah, the fact that you basically made a quick buck out of it, well, good for you, I guess. The thing that worries me is that, you know, the media putting this out there, there's going to be copycat situations, no doubt. Anyone with half a brain can work that out. So I just worry about the can of worms that may potentially have opened up because of this behaviour. I hope those guys get punished. I really do. Because it's the only way to make sure that things like that don't happen again. And to the AFL, whose response to this whole thing is banning the coaches from, you know, walking back to their hotels. Come on, man. How about you either put some security with them so that they can do what they want with ease and comfort and not have to worry about these types of things? You can't go around telling people what they can and can't do in that situation. That's just wrong. Denying people their civil liberties because of the behaviour of three drunken fucktards who, quite frankly, should know better. The emphasis and the onus with this particular situation, completely on the wrong person. Put it on the guy who got in Clarkson's face, invaded his personal space, clearly drunk, clearly moronic. He's the guy who should be suffering. He's the guy that should be getting questioned. He's not the guy who should be getting rewarded financially for his completely and utterly incomprehensible behaviour. I'm sorry, but that just doesn't fly with me. Second off the rank, ESPN. It's not bad enough that you ruin the Crick Info website. It's not bad enough that you turn, you take footy tips and you turn that into an absolute train wreck. Well, we've discussed that earlier. Ridiculous what they've done to their site there. Ridic their, their main site as well. Oh, it just looks horrible now. But I'm really surprised that the decision that they've made not to renew the contract to Bill Simmons, it's, it's quite baffling, really. Obviously, there's something more to it than that. But he's arguably the only personality that they have that people know. And I guess you look at all the things that he's done over the years for, for that uh, for that particular organisation, he's bought them an audience. He he basically allowed Page Two to exist and was the main man on Page Two for a long period of time. He built the Thirty for Thirty franchise, or at least was a very strong hand in ensuring that it happened. And 
If you haven't seen the 30 for 30 documentaries and you love your sport, I definitely recommend you check them out because uh, some of them are absolutely brilliant. They really are. Some of the best uh, TV you'll ever see. And, of course, he's uh, most recently launched Grantland. And if you read some of the articles on there, particularly, got you know, he's given a voice and an audience to guys like Zach Lowe who really know their stuff. Zach Lowe, Bill Barnwell... There's a lot of there's a lot of talent that he's he's basically brought to the brought to the fore there. It's so I mean it's it's really quite surprising that they've decided they want to go down another pathway. I mean all they're doing is basically giving what'll be one of their competitors a significant leg up. In business I think the most important thing you can always do is protect your assets and it seems that ESPN in this instance don't particularly want to go that way and Look, I know that Bill's had a lot to say about Roger Goodell and the NFL in particular. Yeah, and, you know, the ESPN being rather significant rights holders for the NFL, uh, obviously wanting to make sure that they kind of keep that voice down. I mean, it's very AFL-ish, actually, is that, you know, people in the AFL will tow the party line because they're worried that AFL media will all of a sudden renounce their rights. But, you know, this is the thing, is that it's a really concerning situation where... People can be so heavily compromised that they can't speak their opinion or that they can't speak the truth. I think whilst Bill has potentially been a little bit aggressive in how he's gone after Goodell, you can't actually dispute that the points that he's making actually aren't relevant. And that worries me more than anything else. Is it, are ESPN now going to be in the in the process of muzzling all of their particular talent in the past? I mean, it's certainly... A little bit hypocritical when you hear guys like Skip Baseless, as I call him, and Stephen A. Smith certainly getting the opportunity to shoot their mouths off at about anything and everything, often without fundamental basis or fact. But, you know, maybe that's the problem. Maybe Bill's not that type of guy, or maybe Bill can't be sold as that type of guy. You know, I'm not worried about Bill Simmons in, the, in any, any instance. I mean, he'll, he'll make money somewhere. There's no question of that. He's got a, a pretty loyal fan base who will follow him, I'd expect, wherever he goes. And I'm actually expecting that he'll probably be... Someone who'll now be motivated and energised enough to really try and stick it up his former employer if he's been treated badly. So could be some interesting times ahead for the supposed worldwide sports leader, or at least the self-proclaimed worldwide sports leader. Interesting times ahead, and it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Now, I made the following comment knowing full well that my traditional co-host for these podcasts would call me out for for being a victim of clickbait, but I couldn't resist when I saw the title, Perth Bachelorette Documents Dating Disasters in Weekly Search for Mr. Right. Firstly, how the hell is this even news? But having said that, I knew reading the article would be good for a laugh because expectations and the like, there'd bound to be something there. And failing that, the comments would probably be quite juicy and interesting as well. But anyway, look, to start with, I, I won't say too much about Craven in the City or Sammy Craven, apart from the fact that if she has realistically had three dates a week for the past two years. Good on her for at least having a go. But, I mean, look, at the same time, 
you've got to sit there and you read through, I guess, what, what it is that she's looking for and you can kind of understand perhaps why that's the case. Look, she doesn't want to date somebody who's a fine fly-out worker, which, given that she lives in Perth, means that she's probably disregarded about 40 or 50% of the single male population. But we won't get into that too much. But she's also looking for someone who's kind, considerate, has common interests, drive, motivation, a good job class, and makes her laugh. But a child from a previous relationship is a deal-breaker. Hmm. Let's just start with the common interest things. Given that she's been out having uh, three dates a week for the past two years, she's she's looking for a serial dater, I guess. Yeah, okay. Well, we won't get into that. I mean, look, you have to wonder if she's heard of the word compromise. But apart from that, look, it's all good and well to sit there and say, as is always the way with these things, here's all the things that I want. But come on, feeding back to uh, Megan Trainer's dear future husband, Sammy, what are you bringing to the table? What is it that makes you special and make people want to be with you? Maybe you need to perhaps come to terms with that. Or more to the point, come to terms with your ridiculous laundry list of things. I mean, to be perfectly honest, how do you know that that's what you want? (laughs) Most people generally don't have an idea and they have to be smacked in the head. And this is kind of when when you're reading through the comments, sometimes we need to appreciate what's in front of us and get rid of the checklists of what we want and expect. Not every box will be ticked, but that does not mean we need to rule them out. All the best on your adventure. Let's call it an adventure because, yeah, I reckon 99%. 9.9% 9.9% of people would fail her checklist. We won't get into that. We'll just we'll just make that point. Her expectations are reasonable, what I've noticed. The problem is, though, is women make it all about themselves. She listed what she's wanting, but nothing about what she can offer. Could not agree more. The other major problem I've found with dating is women are in a rush. They want that movie-style spark at first sight, and if they don't get it, then there won't be a second date. Love at first sight is great and all, but it is rare and fleeting when it does happen. It takes time to establish chemistry and comfort levels. Don't rule people out too quickly, provided they don't bring kebabs to restaurants and ask for threesomes anyway, which relates back to the article. Yeah, I think that's a very, very fair point, and well said. An okay-looking girl with a Carrie Bradshaw complex isn't what most guys are looking for yeah exactly girls expect way too much she screams the standards being too high can't believe women would find a fifo guy an unattractive option are they that clingy that they need a man around 24 7 yeah I agree. I I thought that was a really bizarre one as well. A lot of big problem with the problem with men and women is that they don't get to know the person within before deciding on whether they are beautiful people. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. Being a shallow person is easy. What you need to be is someone who can really see the person within that can and will change the way you view people. Straight to uh, the head of the class with that comment. I love that. A long list of requirements equals high maintenance to me. Mr. Wright and his mate, Mr. Perfect, do not exist. Mr. Near Enough does, though. Well said. There's no such thing as a perfect relationship. Yeah. If you meet that many guys and no one measures up, I think it's time to start a bit of self-evaluation. Mr. Compromise is out there, but you'll have to as well. Then you'll both be happy. What can we say? It's, um... Well, that was an article. And uh, I guess in terms of those comments, I, I had to chuckle at a bit of a side comment that was in big footy with when you know flipping it on the other the other side where a single male's made the comment that there's two types of single girls in perth the bogan or the wannabe socialite neither are particularly attractive options i'm not going to say whether that's fair or not but it is a very interesting take and um it would be very very interesting to uh to us sammy craven where where it is that she thinks she belongs i get the impression it's probably the latter (laughs) 
I'm just going to play a clip from AFL 360 on the 12th of May, uh, an interview with uh, James Hurd with regards to Wada's appeal of the the ruling by the AFL. You'll have to forgive the uh, ridiculous Robbo question at the start. I mean, we shouldn't expect much more from him, but I think the rest of it is very, very interesting. Jared asks, have you got the strength? The players got the strength. Have you got the strength? Do you need the strength for the players? I've certainly got the strength. Um, yeah, definitely got the strength and the desire to do the job. Um, there's no doubt about that. Oh, I can't wait to get back to the club tomorrow and, and train these guys properly. We haven't had a proper training session all week. We all want to get out on the track. and we, We've got to a point, and I can only speak for myself, um, but I feel like the club's got to a point where it doesn't matter what you say on this show, it doesn't matter what you write, it doesn't matter what anyone writes or says, we know what happened. We know the players are innocent. We know they haven't done anything wrong. Um, and we know that the players will get found innocent again. And that's the strength this, this group has. Yes, we're going to have to deal with speculation. But as a group, you know, what you write in the paper, what someone else writes in the paper, what you say on TV, it, it, it really doesn't concern us anymore. It's about how we feel as a group and, and go out there and play football and deal with things off the ground. You don't really know what happened, though. If you did know, this would have long have been over. If you could prove what the players took, you wouldn't be facing charges regarding <coughs> Thymus and Beta 4. Well, I think that people at the Essendon Football Club believe that they didn't take Thymus and Beta 4 and are very confident they didn't take Thymus and Beta 4. And the, the, you know, the tribunal has come to that conclusion as no, well. No, they didn't. They well, found that they couldn't place Thymus and Beta 4. They were found not guilty of taking Thymus and Beta 4. They actually never considered the question of whether they were given Thymus and Beta 4. Well, they found guilty of... of no, no, they weren't. They but weren't. That's so if you're either guilty or not guilty that of That question it. never actually got considered. And that question may very well get considered. Okay, this and I think they'll get found not guilty again of that, Jerry. Do you have the moral authority to continue as coach, given you're in the position of authority when this program happened and these players have now had a third season deeply affected by it? What do you mean by the moral Do you have authority? the compunction to ask them to, to make demands of them day after day? Well, I think they'll decide that. I mean, if they decide that I don't, then they'll tell me. And they've, they've said that I do. They, they've said to me today they want me to coach them harder and harder than I ever have before. So I believe I have. Did you consider your position at all today with them? Did you ask them? No, I, I don't need to ask them. If, if they, I've asked them along the way, and I believe that group, if they didn't think that they wanted me to coach, they would tell me. You're a father, and we, the anger of the families is steadily disseminating. If, you, if your club couldn't tell you what they put into your son, how would you feel about that? As a father, yeah, I'd be disappointed if, if they couldn't tell me exactly. But I, I've been in those meetings where the, the club has talked to the families about what what has happened, and I've been there when the scientists have talked about what is what what possibly could have happened at worst case. And uh, I think everyone is comfortable that at that point, when they talk about what happened at worst case, that it isn't harmful. What what was put into the players, what possibly could have been put into the players, and the club's confident that nothing illegal or harmful was put into the players. First and foremost, kudos to Jared Waitley for actually asking questions. However, brickbats to everybody. These questions really should have been asked two years ago. Let's not kid ourselves. Look, just carrying on with this Essendon matter, there's a couple of things that I think are worth mentioning. Firstly, how could they not believe that this was going to be challenged by WADA? Now, it was pretty obvious it wasn't going to be challenged by Asada, given that the people doing that 
ruling were going to be the AFL, the ones who made the first ruling in favour of Essendon. So there was no real point in Asada challenging, but Wada were always going to challenge this, and I think that, that was McDevitt's end game. The fact that they said that they were shocked and surprised, or shocked to be sitting there, you could say, that really baffled me. Surely they were expecting this. Surely they had contingency plans in place for this. Why would you not prepare for something like this potentially happening? That that makes no sense. We'll stop on that one. Secondly, I'm sick of hearing them use the word illegal when they're talking about their program. Nobody's asking whether what they took was illegal. What they're asking is, is it prohibited under the under the WADA code. It's got nothing to do with whether the drugs are illegal or not. It's whether the drugs are prohibited under the WADA code. Now, Hertz says this all the time. Paul Little says this all the time. This is the same type of language and the same types of discussions that Lance Armstrong used to have. You've got to pay attention to the finer details with things like this, is that they're using language to try and say we definitively didn't do things. But if you're paying really close attention to what they say, the things that they're saying make no sense. Paul Little's talked about ingesting stuff rather than injecting stuff, for instance, at different stages. I mean, come on. Come on, people. What's going on? The other thing that I find really, really hard to believe about it all is they're a professional football club and they've said that they haven't kept records of all of these treatments. Firstly, these clubs, they monitor via GPS how far players are running, either in games or in training. They have specific weight programs where they check in and have to make sure that they're doing what they're doing. They generally also have particular dietary requirements. All their loads are managed by sports scientists to ensure that they're not tired or fatigued during the course of a season and putting themselves at risk of injury. So if teams are doing all of these things, why the hell, if you're trying to put forward a comprehensive supplements program, would you not be measuring or monitoring all of this information? I mean, that just seems weird to me. Essendon can't dispute that that's the point. And I think, look, there's a couple of comments from Big Footy that I think really absolutely nail this point. And that's why I want to talk about them. The man A. Shep, uh, this is what he said. He said two things back to back. What is not in dispute is that Essendon Football Club implemented a comprehensive supplements program with the ostensible aim of improving prior performance and recovery. No sane person could believe that there was not meticulous records kept correlating performance with the various supplements administered to the players. What would be the point of the program otherwise? The best case scenario for Essendon fans is that Heard oversaw a program costing hundreds of thousands of dollars to improve performance but didn't bother to actually report on how the program itself actually affected performance. At the very least, he and his entire staff should be dismissed for incompetence if not sued by their members for gross negligence and misappropriation of funds. How could you not disagree with that? It just seems it just seems ridiculous. But no one ever really thinks or talks or speaks about this stuff. I don't understand why. So you know, if you want to play this the dog ate my homework line, this is what you open yourself up to. And why can't one journalist make this point? It's not a difficult thing to grasp, surely. I think the cast hearing in all of this is going to be very, very interesting. I also think that the Hal Hunter lawsuit, should that go ahead, that will be equally interesting because all of a sudden all these characters, these Danks, these Olavis, these Charters, they're going to have to testify. And I don't think that Essendon particularly are going to like what they have to say. Look, I'm a big believer in Occam's Razor and... When you think about Ockham's Razor, the simplest answer being generally the most correct, and Essendon, it's pretty clear what 
what Occam's razor itself actually is here. It said the records existed, but the records were incriminating, so therefore the records have disappeared. It seems to be as simple as that. Part of me almost feels sorry for Carlton, given the rabble that they actually are these days. But then you see things like the open mic with John Elliott, of course, the former Carlton president, who was so obnoxious and arrogant about so many elements of his time at Carlton. Look, Carlton is a team that has a history of trying to buy premierships. And, you know, the last one they won, they were actually over the salary cap in order to win it. And in the before that, well, all of their premierships before that were pre-salary cap, pre-national draft, where... If you had the biggest checkbook, you could always go out and buy the best players. And the reality of the Carlton Football Club is, is that they're still stuck in that mindset back in the 1990s. They haven't embraced the draft. They haven't embraced going out, growing your own talent. Surprisingly, there haven't been massive people in the free agent thing, although they did overpay for Dale Thomas, I guess. But John Elliott, after hearing that they were getting that they'd gone over the salary cap and that there were going to be issues associated with that, him saying if he was still president, he would have just taken the matter to court, just reeks of the arrogance and the entitlement that, that everybody associated with that football club has. And that's the reason, above all reasons, why I actually have absolutely no sympathy for them. Show a little bit of humility, show a little bit of respect and understanding of the fact that your club's been a rabble, basically, for the last 15 years. And what are you doing about it? You're not really doing anything at all, apart from, of course, going out and buying what you believe to be the best coach to develop your young talent, when Mick Malthouse has never been somebody who's been good at developing talent. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see if Carlton, what Carlton do next. I th- if I was them, I'd do a gut and clean job. They pretty much have to keep a couple of their veterans around and try and trade and get lots and lots of picks, basically taking the, the pathway that the St Kilda Football Club did a couple of years ago. I think you have to kind of almost treat Carlton as an expansion team these days because the, the cupboard's pretty much bare. And to be honest, if they maintain their uh, their hubris and arrogance of the last 15 or so years, they're probably going to be an expansion team or close to an expansion team for a long while yet. So your move, Carlton. Let's see what you've got. We're back in NBA lottery time, and that seems to be the new annual event uh, questioning the NBA lottery structure, whereby the team with the worst record essentially has a one in four chance of getting the best pick. Now, I find it comical that the NBA system itself is is under heavy scrutiny because it's far and away the best system that exists at the moment in all of the professional sports that are going on around there. If anything, it may need a, a minor or a subtle tweak in that you can't get back-to-back number one picks like Cleveland did a couple of years ago. It's probably the only change I'd recommend they make, but the debate of uh, tanking to get the pick, I mean, if you're getting the worst record and you're only a one-in-four chance of getting that number one pick I mean you have to question what the incentive for you actually is and more to the point what the trade-off is alienating fans alienating potential free agents it's a big risk to take and it's a risk that the 76ers and to a lesser extent the Knicks and the Lakers found themselves in this year it's baffling but 
you know, beyond all of that, the number one pick's no certainty anyway. Since the lottery came in in 1985, only two teams have actually drafted the number one pick and had him go on and play in a championship for them. Now, of course, now, of course this could actually rise up to four in the next few years if uh, Cleveland get up while LeBron and Kyrie are playing there, but... Two in 30 is not exactly a big strike rate to this particular point in time. And look, the number one pick is not necessarily going to be the best pick in the draft. I mean, this year's MVP, Stephen Curry, was a number seven pick. The funniest part of all was the guy taking the pick directly before him, Johnny Flynn, played a couple of years in the league and that was it. So it's an imperfect science. There's always going to be risks associated with projecting players and all of that. So I think having a system where you're not immediately recognised and rewarded with the number one pick if you're the worst team is actually a good way to go. And I'm baffled why anyone would want to change that when the AFL and lots of other sporting organisations around the world are actually planning to try and model their, their drafting system around it.